Well, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We got our final sermon on the armor of God, and then one more sermon next week, and we'll uh, conclude our uh, journey through uh, Paul's letter uh, to the Ephesians. So Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, We're going to focus in on verses 18 and 20 this morning, but let me read uh, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Father, would you help us? Would your spirit enlighten our eyes to Uh, your word this morning. Father, we thank you for peeling back the veil to show us our true enemy in this text and your wonderful provision. Uh, Father, apply this individually in each of our hearts uh, that you might be glorified. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, the message is, the the topic of the message is prayer. As we think about prayer and as we think about our own prayer life, we could think of probably a hundred reasons that uh, we might neglect prayer. I've never met someone that said, I... I think I pray enough. And then if you said, well, what keeps you from being in prayer? We could make a very long list. We could talk about how we're busy. We could talk about our pride that we don't need God when we view ourselves as self-sufficient in our own ability. Uh, We can think about how sin separates us uh, from uh, 
praying to God, how guilt keeps us from coming to God. We could talk about spiritual attacks. We could talk about doubt. But I believe the most fundamental reason we fail to pray often is because we forget about who God is. You see, when we think of prayer as a duty, you know, you, you, you think of uh, Muslims who uh, need to pray five times a day. That's their duty to God. You think about how, you know, what do we teach our families? It's like you pray in the morning, you pray at mealtime, and you pray at bedtime. It can feel like this is what good Christians do. We pray at times we're supposed to pray in. Rather than viewing prayer as the most incredible privilege one could uh, have, And the text that came to mind in this regard is actually Jesus' prayer. What we call the high priestly prayer in John 17. It's one of the greatest gifts we could ever have. We have the Lord Jesus Christ praying for His disciples in His day and then transitioning to those who would believe in Him, which is you and I, and we get to see the prayer. We, we get to see how he prays. We get to see how he prays for us. And I just want to highlight a couple things in here. In John 17, 13, he's, he's already prayed for so much at this point. He's prayed for oneness, that we can be one with uh, him and the Father. He's prayed already that we could share in the fullness of the joy that Christ has. Ponder that this week. Jesus prayed that you would have the fullness of the joy that he has with the Father, that you can have that. But in verse 13, he says this, but now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. And then verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So Jesus prays for us that we would be kept from the evil one. And then he says in verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And then in verse 20, he says, I do not ask for these only, meaning his disciples right there, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given to me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Now get this. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me. And the end of verse 23 there says this, and love them 
even as you have loved me. Jesus reveals in this prayer that the Father loves you and loves me the same as the Father loves the eternal Son of God. Can you imagine a father so great and wonderful as the eternal God of the universe? He's your father. He's my father. The same love that he loved the son. Jesus is saying, let them know that you love them the same way you love me. And then he says in verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Another incredible truth. We pray always, and I think rightfully so, when our loved ones get sick, what do we pray for? We pray for healing. Lord, heal them. The Bible tells us to pray for each other. That the Lord may heal if that's His will. But here Jesus is praying to the Father and He's saying, Lord, I want them with me to see my glory. So no matter what, God may answer a prayer to healing or Jesus' prayer will be answered where our loved ones who know the Lord will get to see His glory in a way they've never seen it. But the reason why I bring us to this text first, we're going to see that Paul is going to call us to pray at all times. And if you don't see that as a privilege, if you don't see your Father as He really is, and see how Christ prayed for you to share in that same joy, then we will neglect the privilege. Right? Rarely do people neglect privileges they have, especially when they see the value of it. Right? If you got a great coupon of like 75% off at your favorite store, you're probably not going to neglect to get there and use it. And for us as Christians, though, we have access to God at any point in time. And yet we so often fail to come to Him. And I think it's because a lot of times we think of prayer as duty. So let's look at this text. I want to kind of give you a bird's eye view of it so we can understand it. Then we're going to jump in to the four points uh, in your notes. Here's what I want you to see. In verse 18, it begins with the word praying. Uh, so praying is a participle. And uh, 
it, it kind of has an aspect of both a verb and an adjective. All right? And this participle is in the present tense. Now, why is that important? Because there's a whole bunch of participles right before this. Uh, in verse 14, having fastened on. That's a, that, that's a participle. That's in an aorist tense. Uh, having put on the readiness uh, uh, is a participle. Take up is a participle in a different tense. They're all in the aorist tense, which kind of show an event in a completed state. And yet this word praying is in a present tense, which has this idea of it, the ongoing aspect of it. And praying actually modifies the word stand in verse 14. All right? So in verse 18, it begins with praying, but that present participle actually depends on the word stand in verse 14. So in one sense, you could read it and say, stand praying at all times. Here's the point. You have the armor of God, right? We have the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of readiness, uh, the shield of faith. We have the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. These are all spiritual weapons, right? That we're called to put on. But here's the thing. A spiritual weapon is too heavy for you and your flesh to put on. I kind of think of Saul and David, right? David's going to go fight Goliath, and he goes to put Saul's armor on, and he's just not big enough to wear it. And Paul's point is this. You can't put on any of the armor of God in your own strength. In fact, the way you put it all on is by praying in the Spirit. If you're going to pick up a spiritual sword, you need to have spiritual power from the Holy Spirit Himself, and it's a spiritual act. You can't put on the belt of truth in your flesh. You can't even understand the belt of truth in your own flesh. You can't put on the breastplate of righteousness in your own flesh. That takes faith in God's Word. The armor is, Paul's essentially saying what? Put on Jesus Christ. And so as we think about prayer in, in, in the four different aspects, Paul shows us we need to see how you can't even put on the armor of God without a relationship with God in prayer. All right? So um, let me show you something about verse 18 now. All right, as you look at verse 18, he says, praying, I want to show you four alls, okay? That's where we get our points. 
He says, praying at all times in the Spirit. So there's the first all. With all prayer and supplication. There's the second one. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. The reason why we know that prayer isn't the seventh part of the armor is because Paul doesn't give a metaphor to prayer like he does the six previous parts. And he gives it this unique uh, literary uh, uh, sentence with these four alls in it. And he changes the tense to present tense. And all this is showing us that this isn't just weapon number seven, but this is how you're going to put on everything that has come before it. All right? So um, here's the way Clinton Arnold describes this. He says, at the heart of spiritual warfare is prayer. Paul does not present this as an additional weapon, but as a foundational and continuous activity that is crucial to deploying all of the armor and weapons. He has just commended the church. All right? If you remember back in verse 10, before he even starts any of this, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. The only way you're going to be able to use this armor is having strength from the Lord, the strength of His might. And do you remember why it's so important? Because He has shown us our enemy. If, if, if Paul were to show us that we're fighting against the schemes of the devil... If Paul were to show us that our enemy is not flesh and blood, but cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places, and then he said, by the way, stand in your own flesh, we would all be devastated. And so he shows us the spiritual armor of God, the power of God, and how the Spirit of God helps us wield this armor, all right? So let's look at uh, the charge of the message is this. Put on the armor of God and stand against the power, the evil powers by, first of all, praying at all times in the Spirit. Praying at all times. This makes sense because God is personal and is always with us, ready to help. Someone would say, well, how reasonable is it that we are to be praying at all times? And one of the answers is, as Christian, God is with you at all times. It would, it, it would seem kind of odd to be with someone that you don't acknowledge, right? Right? And so it's reasonable because God is with us. Paul makes this point, as I'll show you in a moment, in many of his other letters. But it's also reasonable to pray at all times because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion 
looking for someone to devour. And the Bible doesn't tell us that the devil takes half time, that his demons take a break, that you have times where you can let your guard down. All right? So I'm arguing those two reasons alone can make sense of the necessity to be praying at all times. That word for all times literally means every occasion. To be praying at every occasion. Now, in Philippians 4, you don't need to turn there, just listen to this. Paul says this. He says, rejoice always in the Lord. Right, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is with you. And then he says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So when he says to pray about everything, the point he makes right before that is the Lord is at hand all the time with his people. In 1 Thessalonians 5.16, you probably are familiar with this. He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So Paul continually says, pray without ceasing, pray all the time. And he always says, pray with thanksgiving, because we're tempted to pray with complaining doubting the goodness of God. And yet Paul says, when you pray, you're to pray with thanksgiving. And then he says, in the Spirit, praying at all times in the Spirit. What does that mean? It could be also, uh, a good interpretation would be by the Spirit. Uh, If we're going to ask the question, what does it look like to be praying in the Spirit or by the Spirit. We're not talking about speaking in tongues here. That's not uh, what Paul is, is trying to highlight. Let's ask the question this way. What might it look like praying in the flesh? Let's go the opposite of Spirit. What would it look like to pray in the flesh? See, James gives us a good idea. In James 4.3, he says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. And then he says, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? So there's a way we can pray for our idols. Lord, give me my idol. Give me what I want the way I want it. I don't want you. So that's, That would be one way to pray in the flesh. But to pray in the Spirit then is to pray with the Spirit's prompting. Have the Spirit guide our prayer life. Uh, Someone might say, how am I to have a relationship with God when God is so different? How how can I 
pray without ceasing, with a being so much different than I am, so much greater, so much more wonderful? Well, the Spirit is the answer to that question. In, in 1 Corinthians 2.9, listen to what Paul says. Look at how the Spirit helps us. He says, but as it is written, what no eye has seen or no ear has heard or no heart has imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him. You can't know my thoughts except the spirit, the inner man of me can know what I'm thinking, but you can't know what I'm thinking. That's, that's the point Paul's making here. And then he says this. Uh, so also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So to pray in the Spirit is to recognize that we need the Spirit's words to help us even understand who God is. You see, to walk in the Spirit is to go with the Spirit's words. How did we get the Bible? We got the Bible by inspiration of the Holy Spirit as He carried people along as they wrote his word perfectly, all right? So if we're going to have a relationship with God where he communicates with us, and then we respond in communication to him, we cannot do that apart from the Spirit of God. We need to pray in the Spirit. We need the Spirit's words in the Scripture, and then we need the Spirit to help us understand the Scripture, and then Paul even tells us in Romans 8 that when we don't even know how to pray, the Spirit fixes our prayers according to the will of God. Listen to this, Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Have you ever got to the end of the day where you know you need to pray and you don't even know what to pray? Maybe your pain is so deep, you don't even know how to put it in words. Someone says, how can I pray for you? And your answer is, I don't know. One of the best prayers a person can have is, Lord, I don't know, but you know. I don't even know how to describe the position I'm in, or I don't even know what to ask for. I don't know what the right thing is, but I'm coming to you. And then this text says the Spirit takes your prayer and prays it to the Father according to to God's will. <laughs> what an encouraging reality. And once again, 
Of course we must pray by the Spirit. We're having a relationship with the God of the universe, but God has given us, living inside us, the Spirit of God to prompt us how to pray, prompt us who to pray for, prompt us to not rely in our own strength, all right? So the, one of the ways you will stand against evil powers is by praying at all times. Uh, I want to say one more thing. Someone might say, well, how do, you, how do you do your job? Let's say you're an accountant and you're doing math. And Paul says to, you know, never cease to be praying. Maybe think of it this way. Imagine a couple that has been married for 40 years. All the kids are out of the house. They decide to go out for dinner. And they sit down for dinner. Do you think communication is going to be nonstop the whole time? Just talking? Like it was when they started dating? Just going back and forth. No, they're... There might not be nonstop talking, but can there be sincere enjoying one another and the fellowship and company of one another during that entire meal? Yes, there can be. So to be praying at all times, this, uh, part of it can be remembering that God is with you while you're doing your accounting. He's with you right along next to you. He hasn't left. Lord, help me with this. Help me with that. Thank you, Father, for this. Uh, so secondly, Paul says, not only we're to pray at all times uh, in the Spirit, but with all prayer and supplication. So all prayer is the general word for prayer. Basically, it can mean any type of prayer. So with all types of prayer. And supplication is like the specific requests from God. Paul's point is this is, pray all types of prayers at all times. The request types of prayers where, Father, help me with this particular thing. The confession of sin type of prayers, the adoration types of prayers. Lord, look at this beautiful sunset you've given me. Thank you for my wife. Thank all types of prayers. The types of prayers that say, Lord, help me change. That's the point of this point. We're to pray at all times with all types of prayers. Paul, Paul does the same thing in that Philippians 4 passage. He says, but do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. He puts those two words together again, basically showing that it's not any particular type of prayer. It's all the types of prayer. Point three, he says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Very important point here that Paul 
is making. To fail to keep alert in prayer is to shift from God's wisdom, God's protection, God's power to our own foolishness, our own insecurity, our own weakness. You see, if we don't persevere in prayer and relying on God, what's the other option? Relying on man. That's, that's the only other option. Re- you want to rely on your wisdom or his wisdom? You want to rely on your protection for yourself or on his protection for you? You want to re- rely on your strength and your courage? Or do you want to stand in the strength of his might? See, this is the idea. And what's the context of this passage? You're battling cosmic powers. And if you're battling cosmic powers, keep alert with all perseverance. You know, Jesus constantly was saying this. Mark Mark 13, 33, be on guard, keep away, for you do not know when the time will come when the Lord will return. You know, some of the most terrifying passages in in the letter to the Hebrews is where it describes Christ coming back and some people shrinking back. The, The thought they have is, oh no, he's here. Oh no, time is up. And the writer of Hebrews says, He doesn't have pleasure in anyone who, when he returns, shrink back. Why not? That's proof that they didn't have an intimate relationship with God. And so Jesus is saying, you don't know when the master's coming back. Keep alert. Stay awake. Be ready. But if you're you're living your life by faith, knowing Christ is with me, and you're talking to Him all throughout the day, and Christ is the main reality in your life, and then Christ comes down, your response will be, yes! He's here. This is what I've been waiting for. This is the one I've been communing with this whole time, and He's finally here. And yet we have to admit, we don't always keep alert, do we? We don't always stand on guard, just like the disciples when Jesus said, watch and pray. Why why did He say that? Why did He tell the disciples to be alert and to watch and to pray? He said, so that you may not what? Enter into temptation. And what did the disciples do? When he told them to watch and keep alert in prayer, they fell asleep. And when they fell asleep, what did they do? They denied knowing Christ. They were filled with fear. And that's the exact same thing we do when we fall asleep. When we quit putting on the armor of God, when we quit praying in the Spirit, our friend becomes anxiety and fear, and, and, and uh, doubt, and trusting in all these other things. We can relate. 
with the disciples and falling asleep. And that's why Paul is writing this. He wouldn't have to write this to Christians if once they were born again, they just did this. No, he's telling them to put on the armor of God and to be praying because he knows they're going to struggle to persevere. Here's how John Stott said it. He highlights this to the highest degree. He says, perhaps most important is the command to stay awake and therefore alert. It goes back to the teaching of Jesus himself. He emphasized the need for watchfulness in view of the unexpectedness, both of his return and of the onset of temptation. He seems to have kept repeating the same warning. I say to you, watch. The apostles echoed and extended this admonition. Be watchful was their general summons to Christian vigilance, partly because the devil is always on the prowl like a hungry lion, and false teachers like fierce wolves, and partly lest the Lord should return and take us unawares, but especially because of our tendency to sleep when we should be praying. Watch and pray, Jesus urged. It was failure to obey this order which led to the apostles into their disastrous disloyalty. Similar failure leads to similar disloyalty today. It is by prayer that we wait on the Lord and renew our strength. Without prayer, we are much too feeble and flabby to stand against the might of the forces of evil. All right? So we need to be praying with all perseverance. And finally, uh, verse 4, praying for all believers. Look at what he says. Making supplication, so that's that term for request. Making supplication for all the saints. Paul continually is doing this in his letters. You want to talk about someone who lived out to practice what they're preaching? He did it. In his letters, you read him. What's he praying for? He's always praying for all the saints. He's praying for the saints he's writing to. And then even in our text, we're going to look at even, even in the letter to the Ephesians, we get to see a couple of these prayers. The, here's how he starts his letter to the Philippians. He says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you. Always, in every prayer of mine, for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He says, every prayer I pray I pray for you. That's incredible. And then in 1 Corinthians 1.4, he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge. Here's how he does it to the Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 1.11. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling 
and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that at the name of the Lord Jesus uh, may be or so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how he prays for the church in Colossae. We, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we've heard of your faith in, in Christ Jesus, an example of love that you have for all the saints. This makes sense. What's this whole letter about? This whole letter is about how God unites us with Him through Christ, makes us a new person, and then unites us to this new society, this new people, born again, brought into unity. So he tells us to pray for one another. In Ephesians 1, we get to see one of his... You ever hear the term inter, intercessory prayer? Praying on behalf of someone else? Paul does this even throughout this letter. Look, look at Ephesians 1.15. Listen to what he says. He says, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and knowledge of Him. So he's praying that they know Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might, he's praying, Lord, they, they don't even know how great their inheritance is. Help them know more. They don't even know how great your power is. Help them know the immeasurable greatness of your power towards them. And then in Ephesians 3, verse 14, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that basically you can understand the love of God which is un incomprehensible. <laughs> Lord, give them power that they can have some sort of comprehension of the love of God. Now, Here's what I want you to see. Notice what Paul does next in verse 19. He says, and also for me. Pray for all the saints. And then he says, pray also for me. That words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in chain, chains that I may declare boldly as I ought to speak. When was the last time you requested prayer from a brother or sister in Christ? Some of you are good at this. Those of you who are good at this, you're more humble than those who are not good at this. 
those who don't ask other saints to pray for them have too much confidence in their own strength, in their own power. But the Apostle Paul can't help but add two more sentences saying, don't forget about me. God has called him to preach the gospel confidently. That's what the word bold means. It means with full confidence. He's to be an ambassador for God. He's in chains. He's in prison for doing this. But he's knowing that in his flesh, he's going to lose confidence. He's going to lose courage. He might wimp out. And so he asks for prayer. Many of you tell me how you pray for me. And I am so thankful. It is so comforting to know that I'm not just praying for myself. I can fall like any of you can fall. I can be targeted like any of you can be targeted. And in my own strength, I will fall. That's, those are the facts. And in your own strength, you will fall. The devil will have his way with us when we're in our own, living in our own strength and in, in our own power and in our own wisdom. How important is it to be belong to a body of believers in a local church? Who are you going to ask to pray for you? Who are you going to tell them? Who are you going to tell what's going on in your life? Isn't it incredible to know that what you need and what I need is outside of us in the sense of it's, it's not in and of ourselves. It's inside us and in that the Spirit's given to us. But we get to function in this life not in our own strength or our own power. In fact, Jesus in the high priestly prayer, when he was praying for the disciples, he says, they're not from the world. The people I'm praying for, Father, they're not from the world. And therefore, the world hates them. Because when you're found in Christ, your life comes from him. It's eternal life. And now you have access to strength and wisdom and power that we don't have in and of ourselves. John Stott says this, most Christians pray sometimes with some prayers and some degree of perseverance for some of God's people. But to replace some by all in each of these expressions would be to introduce to us a new dimension of prayer. He's saying all Christians pray some of the time, some prayers with some perseverance for some people. Stop saying this is a new introduction, a new dimension of prayer. And then he points to John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress and to Christian, and he says this, 
It was when Christian perceived the mouth of hell by the hard wayside in the valley of the shadow of death and saw the flame and the smoke and heard the hideous noises that he was forced to put up his sword and to betake himself to another weapon called all prayer. So he cried in my hearing, O Lord, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. And John Bunyan had read this passage. In this passage, the fire of hell is put in front of us. Our enemy is put in front of us, clear as a bell. And then our weapons, our armor is shown to the Christian that we can put on, not in our own power, but in His power. The Spirit of God can help us grab the sword of the Spirit and hold it up. So, let's pray for one another. If you're a member of Sovereign Grace Church, you signed a church covenant saying, I'm going to strive to lift up the brothers and sisters in Christ in this church in prayer. We need to pray for each other more. You're not okay, and I'm not okay in and of myself. We need to be in constant prayer, and we need to persevere in it. So let's pray at all times, all types of prayers, with all perseverance, praying for all of the believers, and remembering that prayer is an incredible privilege. What a privilege to remember the love of God in Christ that's with us.